Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard, and I am your host. Uh, today, I've got two great guests all the way f- over from America, uh, well, virtually anyway. I've got Clayvon Karlowitz and Asta Paredes. Hey, guys. <laughs> How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you very much. I'm glad we got the technology working this time because um, this is take two. We tried to do it the other day, but um, technology failed me. Um, so glad to get it all sorted and, and get you guys on. Because um, Claire, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because I, I spoke to um, Asta on a previous episode um, yeah. and I wanted to kind of get you in the mix too because uh, you two are not only fellow actors and fellow directors but you're also fellow married people <laughs> you, you, yes, you we are you're a married couple um yeah. and i know Asa, you briefly touched upon it when you when you were on the show a little while ago uh, but do you guys kind of want to tell the story about how you how you met yeah sh- uh sure sh- who should go yeah. first uh okay so um from my perspective uh, <laughs> i i was um trying to get more film credits and I saw this ad for um, a, a B horror movie on a casting submission service, and I thought it might be fun. And I did some research. I vaguely heard of the company Troma, and um, but I watched a couple movies, and I went in. And uh, after several rounds auditioning, like to be a, a Cretan, I was asked to uh, to read for this like uh, combination of a jock character and a nerdy character they had called uh eugene and um that's uh how i first met asta she had been cast as chrissy already uh and i had to play this uh, new character opposite her and um in that process of auditioning uh i think we both kind of like started to fall for each other in a sort of a goofy way but uh but anyway i ended up getting cast and then um a few Days later, we were on set, and uh, and then uh, I think a, a week or ten days into uh, our rehearsal period in Niagara Falls, we actually started dating um, on the set of that movie, and uh, it was awesome because uh, Niagara Falls was sort of a sort of like a ghost town in that like there's a lot of abandoned houses and stuff, and it was us playing high school characters, and it just felt like starting all over again, like yeah. small town. Meet and uh, no distractions. Yeah, and it was like kind of a, a really, really lovely um, time and like such a gift uh, to just have that freedom of this summer. You know, we were there for a few months and uh, it was great. And um, when we got back to the city, we um, we had to plan dates because we she lived in Jersey City, I lived in Brooklyn, and so we had to make things. Uh, we had to plan things and make them happen. And eventually, we moved in together and. Um, we uh, just kept making stuff with each other, and uh, yeah, uh, she's she's my soulmate, and um, and I don't know, it's 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 amazing, like how much we've changed, and yet like how we still like hold strong to this bond that we formed uh, long ago. Because although we put on many different faces for our careers, essentially, you know, we're, we're the same people, uh, and we, uh, yeah. Um, I, I couldn't have asked for a better uh, partner in crime. <laughs> would, yeah. would you would you say all of that if Asta was out of the room? Or was uh-huh. that just... <laughs> like, like, we're like blushing so hard. Uh, that was really yeah. sweet. That was really <laughs> sweet. But it's it's just the thing is like as soon as I started to tell the story, like it just immediately sounds sort of cheesy, and so no. I, I'm like, 
I have to like find a way to like undercut it and uh, just say like, no, but like, like seriously, we're also like cohabitants and we're partners. We're partners in business where we, we collaborate with each other on a professional level. Yeah. But then we also like have formed our own memories. Um, I like am close with her family and she's close with my family. We've had to get to know each other's families and, and each other's yeah. family's traditions and um and then make our own and so. make, exactly but you know and you find partners whether or not in it, uh for life love or art or all three you you just kind of know you click right away and uh they keep you um they keep things light and uh fun and you know he makes he he makes me uh feel like creativity is limitless so that's that's an important part of what works that's really good and it? it's probably the ideal situation because a lot of people who are in um relationships they maybe one of the partners is the creative one and the other one is the a little bit more kind of down to earth and a little bit less creative but you've got yeah and like nine to five jobs yeah. Like, like yeah but we found a way to make it work because we're we like we're hard workers and we have a lot of traditional things about ourselves, despite the fact that we're artists and that we have sort of a bohemian lifestyle in some ways, like we still like make sure to like hold each other accountable. And, yeah. uh, it's just kind of great because I didn't think I would meet this kind of person, uh, like until like long after I actually met her. And so it was like amazing, like, and yeah, yeah and on a trauma set of all <laughs> yeah exactly and i was gonna say because i think i remember asta you were saying that um even though trauma essentially brought you guys together um i guess the part of it was um it tried to almost keep you apart because you weren't allowed relationships on set is is was yeah. it, do i remember that right yeah there's a no fraternizing clause which is completely like a valid and important thing and sure, i think that sure that made us take it a little more seriously because like neither of us wanted to risk um our employment with the production yeah um, but it you know the reason behind that is like if you have a spat or something on set it could delay the production or yes, and yeah. you know when it's low budget you really don't want that and it's not like, you know, it's not like against the law. It's just like <laughs> you want to respect the contract and respect like your part in it. You have to do things a certain way. And I think yeah. that we wanted to maintain that so much. And and honestly, like uh, a big part of the a big motivator for me on set was that I was falling in love with him, but also just falling in love with um, creating again. And that was a big motivator for me. So for me in particular, it really, really worked, you know? Mm. Um, and, and, and that fed into a whole different mindset about the way that I approach the art that I like to watch mm -hmm. and the art that I like to participate in. I like stuff to really, you know, come from a place of like enjoying it instead of like feeling like work, because then why choose this profession, you know? So. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll definitely get on to, uh, some of your other projects and the, the stuff you've worked on, uh, together. And, uh, because I mean, you're, you're not only your actors, but you're also writers and directors. Um, and we'll get into all of that a little bit later. Yep. Um, uh, let's just go on to the format of the show. And in case anyone's just tuned to this for the first time, uh, this is a show where we recommend uh, films, TV shows, or documentaries that we that we like and we think so maybe possibly a little bit underrated and underseen. Um, and even though this the name of this sh uh, show is what to watch on Netflix, um, it's not just about that particular streaming service. 
this can be a recommendation for any streaming service. So YouTube even, um, uh, Hulu, anything. Um, so don't, don't let the name Netflix kind of put you off. It's kind of like a catch-all for, for all uh, streaming services. Um, so as I'm the host, I'll go first with my first recommendation and we'll kind of go round and, and see what you guys think. Um, and at any time, by the way, chip in or, or uh, tell me I'm wrong about something. Um, <laughs> you're more than welcome to. Um, but my first choice of, uh, I think people should watch what to watch on Netflix um, is something that's currently on Amazon Prime right now. And it's something really close to my heart. It's a documentary about Pet Cemetery, and it's called Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery. And I don't know about you guys, but um, my favourite um, Stephen King adaptation is Pet Cemetery. Absolutely love it. Obviously good, man. It's it's just it's just it's just perfect. It's just amazing. It's one of the one of the horror films to, to this day that still kind of scares me. I don't. I'm very desensitized to, to horror films, but there's something about this film that's just it's just the tone. It's just the the imagery. It just really freaks me out. Um, and this documentary kind of puts us um, right there on on set. You see kind of footage of uh, of while it was being made, and also you kind of forget that this film. A massive film now, one of the most successful horror films um, uh, at the time. It's directed by by a woman. It was directed by Mary Lambert, mm-hmm. and we kind of forget this. Um, and Mary Lambert, before she did Pet Cemetery, she uh, was a music video director. She did um, basically all of Madonna's music videos up until then. She did Like a Virgin, which obviously um, you could say started Madonna's career. She did Borderline. She did Material Girl. All of the big ones that you think of Madonna, Mary Lambert did it. So. Uh, the reason why she, she they picked her to do um, Pet Cemetery, and you find out in this documentary, I never knew any of this before, uh, was because there was a writer's strike and also George Romero couldn't do it because he was doing something. I think he was doing Monkey Shines in, instead of uh, Pet Cemetery. Um, so she was someone who was available and someone who was relatively cheap. Um, so they decided to give her a shot. And she was kind of um, high profile due to her successful music videos. Oh, she, I think she'd just done uh, Like a Prayer, which got a lot of attention. So she was kind of a, a hot person to, to kind of um, have attached to this. And um, this documentary, Unearthed and Untold, The Path to Pet Cemetery, is absolutely incredible. Lo- lots of like hidden gems, lo- lots of really interesting stories about making it that I didn't know before. Um, the relationships between the character, uh, between the people on set, the fact that Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy uh, in in, in um, Nightmare on Elm Street, she was on set some of the time because her h- current husband did the special effects on it. It's just, it's, it's just great, and and I this documentary is seventy. Five minutes long and i could watch it for like five hours it's so much cool stuff in it and i mean just it's about one of my favorite films of all time as well so i'm obviously gonna be enamored by it but um it's just great to see also the the audition process as well and and how they cast uh, some of the child actors and how they went around uh, to the local schools and it's quite a local production um in in maine and i think this is the truest um, adaptation of a Stephen King um, story that there's ever been, um, and I was lucky enough recently the the BFI, the British Film Institute um, in London, they did a Stephen King um, season, um, which was great. And I and for some reason they picked me to be on the Stephen King panel to talk about horror movies and uh, and Stephen King and my relationship to to his movies and and how it influences me. And I just yeah, I felt really I felt really honoured, and um, they shouldn't have really had me up there because I just went on about things like Night of the Comet, like I did 
when, when I spoke to you last time, Aston. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, never mind Stephen King. Everyone should watch Night of the Comet. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stephen King is still, I mean, he's, he's incredibly influential right now. Everything that comes out is, is Stephen King at the moment. Um, and it's good to see um, something that's about a time when Stephen King films were, were kind of weren't the norm, really. There were, there were, I mean, there were a few before this, but I think this one came out of nowhere and just made the Stephen King adaptation a real thing. I think shortly after a Misery came out, so it was kind of a Stephen King time, and it's kind of happened again, and the cycle continues. Um, yeah. Are you guys big fans of, of Pet Cemetery? I, I love it. It, it. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, for me, my Stephen King will always be it. Uh, um, okay. but, uh, I love it. I mean, it's, it's a perfect use of the genre, uh, capturing the feeling of grief and what it can do to you. Yeah. Um, that it can drive you to do things that are just unspeakable and probably completely illogical if you were in any other kind of state of mind. But, you know, it's so relatable. It's it's devastating to think you losing a child. Yeah, I mean, in such a senseless way. You know, and I actually had not seen the movie all the way through until oh, recently. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, I had seen like only like parts of it growing up, but I watched it with Asta for the first time. I think like a year and a half ago or something. Nice. Um, and um, it was just stunning how many um, different uh, parts were in the same movie and like the kind of journey that you see these characters mm -hmm. partake in. And because it, it feels in some ways it feels like it, it's, it's a very act driven um, kind of a story. Like it yeah. feels like you have like self-contained films um, one after the other, and then it all like kind of comes crashing down at, at the end. And, uh, it's so heartbreaking, but I uh, also yeah. like so vividly realized. And I love that kind of like that unique ability Stephen King has to combine that kind of gallows humor with like pathos. And, um, Correct. yeah, yeah. Totally I agree. mean, yeah. yeah. It also makes you, I mean, and watching the documentary um, kind of reminded me of something that I've thought about probably all, all through my life. What if I was in this situation? What if I had a child or I had a loved one and I had the ability to bring them back? Would I do it? Um, and I mean, if I just watched, watched uh, Pet Cemetery, probably not. But like, if you're in the moment, I mean, it would be hard to, to not bring someone back. Yeah. Yeah, it's tempting. It's like you totally get it. You're like, well, uh, maybe, maybe like whatever price it it comes as, like, no, it's you can't bear the loss of that person. So whatever, we I think we can all relate to that. And, and the uh, fact that it's the fact that it's the father that does it. Yeah, it's, it's mm -hmm. so it's it's such a different. You know, it just shows how much he really bared this guilt with the grief. Yeah, you know, um, it's such a different. I mean, like. It's yeah. I mean, it's such a painful, painful, painful movie, but it's so well done. Yeah, and actually, I didn't really think about that. The kind of because in a lot of horror films, the the, the lead protagonist is uh, from a woman's perspective, or yeah. through through the male gaze, but um, a woman. Um, so yeah, I didn't even really think of that. That the, the main protagonist is, is a guy. 
Um, but yeah, so this this documentary um, is, I mean, even if you've got a re- remote interest in horror or the or the making of of, of movies, um, it, this is right will be right up your street, and it's free to watch on 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 Prime Video. Um, so that's my first choice. Uh, who wants to go next? I'll go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I recently uh, I had been rambling. Maybe it was even to you uh, <laughs> a film that maybe I recommended it last time. I can't remember. It's fine. Oh, go for it. Um, and I couldn't remember the name of it. Okay. Um, but it was part of the um like f- uh films to keep you awake series. Ooh, and no. I okay. finally found it on all places on Shutter. Okay. Um, and it's called The Baby's Room. I've not seen this. What was it? So what's this about? Um, it's it's phenomenal. Okay. First of all, uh, it's it's a film. Uh, it takes place in Spain. Um, it's about a um, like a newly uh, like a couple moving into a home, um, and they're you know setting up for the for the baby, and they. Uh, I, I don't want to give much away, but okay. the basic setup is like. They start to the the they have a, a get a baby monitor and they start to see things and the husband starts to see things like that indicate there's some sort of haunting going on. Okay. And and this obsession kind of gnaws and grows at him to the point where it it really just uh, bites him in the ass at the end. <laughs> um, I, I but um I, I don't want to give away the twist, but sure, basically yeah, yeah. I would compare it to the feeling of like paranormal activity meets like sinister meets like Amityville. It, mm-hmm. it kind of has that, that maddening paranoia and how a haunting can kind of like trick you into allowing yourself to be taken over by it. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, it's a phenomenal film about how like, uh, you know, men's instincts, women's instincts, um, coming, you know, at a head when a uh, new life is being brought into the world, the paranoias that come from that, um, the, the tension in the relationship. And then, you know, like there just so happens to, they have chosen this, this house that just has a bad energy to it. Um, <laughs> and they overlook it for the price, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, but it's so, so good. It's one of those, like, I did not expect it to be so good. And it was on Netflix years ago, but now it's on Shutter. Okay. Um, and what's called, it called? Ba- the Baby's the Room. Baby's- yeah. Because I think I know. It's, so it's a, it's a series of horror films, isn't it? Um, yeah, six like six films to keep you awake. I've definitely seen some of them. I don't think I've seen seen all six, but it sounds like it kind of plays on that base horror of of something coming and hurting your family. Um, yeah. And obviously, if it's a, a brand new baby, then you're going to be even more cautious over that. And just the thought of someone take just hurting a member of your family or even being in your house when, when you, when you don't expect it is just yeah. playing on your, on your, on your base fears. Um, and that's, yeah. that's why, I mean, we all like lo- love horror. Um, and it's finding like, and we all try to make horror and it's just finding that kind of base fear that, that will kind of make the audience kind of empathize with, with the characters. And yeah, it's, yeah. And, and also how, like, you know, when it comes to, like bad energy in life or um, malevolent spirits, they thrive on being invoked. Yeah. So the more you believe in their evil and their power, and the more that you give into that negativity, the more power that it has over you. It's interesting. So 
if you don't, if you don't leave it alone and you keep picking at it, it's, it's already done its work, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of, I, I just find that so interesting because like there's so many points in the film, you know, where there are logical moments from the characters, but then the curiosity is what gets them in the end, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, have, it's very, very human. <laughs> so have you guys, as you live together, have you guys ever experienced anything that's a little bit not quite the norm? A supernatural <laughs> presence? Yeah. <laughs> I've experienced that on my own throughout my life. Um, But as far as like us in our home, I know that we've recently like uh, just in like in the past few months made a huge turn to kind of minimize our space in order to kind of take away the power that like negativity can have in your life when you have too much clutter or whatever. And I've just noticed like a, you know, our, our spirits feel lighter and happier and we're more productive because of it. So I I don't know if we've yet though, like collectively experienced um, some sort of a a presence uh, though. I, I I hope we do at some point. (laughs) Yeah. It's good inspiration for, for, for movies and stuff. If you do experience it yourself, make a couple stronger. Yeah. I mean, I guess we do have a soft spot for those kinds of films, like, like possession or Rosemary's baby or the baby, where it's like young young like naive couple enters into serious life and then like supernatural stuff steps in you know like we're ready for it because we're we're very bonded (laughs) yeah we're not going to be moving to amityville anytime soon (laughs) but always in in those kind of films when when a new couple moves into a house and it gets possessed you always get one who's a believer and one who's not and that's always the wedge that drives the couple apart and possibly end but i feel like with you two if it happened to to you two you'd both straight away go okay we know what this is we can deal with this yeah (laughs) actually this this isn't going to be one of my wrecks because it's not available yet i think streaming wise uh uh but stillborn is one of like the really good recent entries in that genre uh about, about that sort of setup a couple moves into a new neighborhood and in that case it's uh the husband is always leaving going on business trips and the mother is is left there with uh she's pregnant right is is that the idea or yeah she has a baby yeah, yeah anyway i'm not going to get into it too much okay. um because it's uh it's not out it's yet. not like widely released yet we got to see a special screening but um but it stains the sands red is available on some streaming platforms yes, and that's yeah. same bakers and that one's absolutely incredible uh Brittany audrey allen is she is somebody to watch for right now i i really liked uh stains the sand red uh, I thought it was a real unique um, way to, to present a particular subgenre um, of horror. Yeah, um, yeah I ha- hadn't really seen it. I th- at first, I thought, oh, this character is a little bit annoying. But then yeah. I, I just grew to, I grew to love her. Yeah. Uh, it surprised me like how they started to like deepen her story and yes. like her emotional range. Like you gradually feel for her. Yeah, and then I, I actually was so fortunate. Um, I... I've gotten to talk to her since and she also does music and oh, I got to talk to her at a screening uh, that they did at Lincoln center um, where I, you know, you know, like I've talked to you in the past with my filmmaking work. Um, I really enjoyed that the zombie kind of became like this uh, advocate for her. Love and, it. Like, when he saves her. her. I mean, I know it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it, it's <laughs> that, bit, I, that, would, that bit made me really like the movie. Um, yeah, it's, It speaks a lot to how like, 
you viscerally attach to someone who really is there for you in your time of need, whether or not they mean to and like boundaries and, um, and how, how like, um, when you're in life or death situations or when your mortality is, um, when you face your mortality, you, you really want to own up to your identity all of a sudden. And, and I think that that, that really like made her really own up to her shit. And I thought that was a beautiful way to tell a story. I agree. And, and it was essentially a love story. It was yeah. at start, it was, it was an unrequited love because the zombie wanted her. She didn't want anything to do, <laughs> do with him. And eventually they, they find a common bond, which is to, to get revenge on, on those people. And yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of beautiful and it kind of come out of nowhere. I don't think it's very, uh, widely seen yet, but, um, I mean, that can be a, a, a kind of a, a side recommendation, uh, yeah. then Sarah. but yeah, no, that's, that's a great pull. Um, uh, so yeah, so Clay, I reckon it's your turn now. Yeah. Um, to sort of make it a documentary sandwich kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> a, a little while ago, I watched a, a documentary called Steve McQueen, the man in Le Mans. Ooh. And, uh, so I, a couple years ago, I picked up a book about Steve McQueen, uh, this biography and I read it like very, very quickly. Um, cause it was so engrossing, uh, just, Given like his, like his upbringing, you know, his his mom was a, a prostitute and um, that's how they she made money for them. And he didn't get schooling beyond primary school. And uh, he had a rough and tumble uh, life. And um, and they, he was sent to like military school. And anyway, he became obviously, as we know, a big movie star. Uh, but uh, largely that was like through uh, his own um, kind of measured uh focus on like how to make something that he could do work for the screen. And he learned like how to just project with his eyes. He hated lines. He, he, he wanted as few lines as possible so that he could just get to conveying essentially what the emotions were. Eventually he became a big movie star and he began, began to be given a lot of privilege. And he also had a passion for racing. He had a passion for racing cars and motorcycles and this was always a liability for productions because um, he would do this like in between like uh, shooting days. He would go out and he would speed away on some vehicle and sometimes he would get in a wreck, whatever, and they'd have to work around it. And oftentimes he would work his own stunts into his films. Anyway, uh, his star power became so huge that people were asking him like, OK, what do you want to do? And People, as as we know, uh, eventually with a lot of star power, you get to have choices in your careers. And uh, so he had this passion for racing. He wanted to make a movie about Le Mans, which is the biggest race uh, car race in the world held in France. And uh, and so the documentary is essentially about that time when he was trying to get this movie made. And essentially, like they couldn't crack a good story. And there, there was a lot of drama around the making of the film. And because he had such a big ego, he would often be the driving force on decisions made on set. But the thing is, he wasn't really a filmmaker, so he couldn't really uh, appreciate the delicate balance that was needed. And he would insist on being part of like writing when he really wasn't that qualified to do it. And Anyway, like the movie, um, it, it almost like ruined his career and the reputation of everyone else involved. And 
it almost never even got made. And it, when it got released, it was sort of a, a box office disaster. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it's sort of this, uh, amazing study on, uh, a, a man or an actor and his ego and, uh, and what, what happens when somebody is kind of given what they really think that they need. And when you throw the balance of power off, uh, what can happen? And um, I, I mean, essentially, a lot of like creatives, they're, they're like kids who want to play. And uh, and sometimes I think that when they prove that they can do great things, they're just fed more and more privilege. And sometimes it's in the form of money. Sometimes it's just in the form of various incentives. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I think it's a fascinating documentary um, about this like screen legends. And um, yeah, I. Uh, I know, like, I, I, I like a lot of genre stuff, too, but, like, I, I also try to study um, enigmatic um, performers because, mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm trying to be careful with, like, the choices I make, and I, I try to, like, develop a good, strong respect for uh, collaborating with people, but also respecting boundaries and respecting, like, how some people, like, they have a job and you have a job, and... Um, and so it's not like a one person medium. And, um, yeah, I, I, I recommend it for anybody who is a fan of the documentary, but, uh, who's also maybe, uh, curious about like movie stardom or just like privilege in the film industry in general yeah. and what, where it can go wrong. Yeah. That sounds really cool. I, I mean, I, I, I have to admit, I've got a bit of a black hole when it comes to Steve McQueen. I've seen the obvious couple of big ones. Um, yeah. but there's so much to his to his um, um, uh, filmography that I need to delve into because I know it, it's it's impeccable, and he's a star <laughs> for a reason. Um, Kay, would you say that Steve McQueen is basically the person or the actor that you kind of look up to the most, that like the um, the target for you? No, um, oh. I would say that it was it would probably be a tie between Paul Newman and Jack Nicholson. Yeah, ah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and what's funny is that Paul Newman was Stephen Queen's biggest rival. Yes, because he was, yeah. They looked similar enough, and they had this like big, like high wattage sex appeal thing. Yeah, but Paul Newman like was less of a a visceral actor and more of an intellectual actor. And uh, McQueen, McQueen was more of the kind of like blue collar Brando type who sort of developed a little bit more polish after doing the Thomas Crown Affair and wearing those turtlenecks. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but he he like he hated Paul Newman. He called him fuck nut and he was always <laughs> with him. And uh, Paul thought, was really amused by the rivalry. Eventually, they buried the hatchet um, before McQueen's untimely demise. Which, by the way, had specifically to do with the masks that he would wear um, when he rode motorcycles. Uh, those masks were often lined with asbestos. And over mm. the years, his obsession with racing is what did him in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, like, I'm fascinated by the guy, but I prefer Paul Newman overall in general because yeah. he was much more careful with his choices. Of course, he... He, in a way, like he was dealt a better hand at first, uh, but um, he also, I think, cared more about like having a good life and a good marriage. And McQueen, for better or worse, uh, he couldn't like really. He he had to just keep screwing something all the time. <laughs> Some of the women in his life, like, were always there for him, and were like, you know, I know that you're doing stuff behind my back, but I feel bad for you because you're like this little puppy dog and whatever. <laughs> 
you know, it's sad. Like, but yeah. um, I mean, I but, always uh, preferred Paul Newman as well because Cool Hand Luke is just was one of the one of the films that I watched that made me in like enjoy cinema, made me love cinema. Yeah, Cool Hand Luke is just an incredible yeah. film. Yeah, Paul Newman's an intense, intelligent actor and charming he's very charming yeah yeah he is sweet natured i remember um uh pauline kale the famous film critic once wrote uh in a response in her review of the movie hud um which uh, which is based on um a great novel uh called horsemen pass by um uh in which he's he plays this essentially antagonistic character uh and um it has to do with a ranch being sold and cows dying off but uh, he's this bad influence on this like young kid um, who's like the grandson of this uh, patriarch. But um, anyway, he plays this HUD role really well. But um, most people really like seeing him play a good man, even if he's a flawed good man. Yeah. And yeah. so the whole anti-hero thing, like it's hard for some people to swallow. She, Pauline Kael wrote that no, no one should ever be asked to uh, see Paul Newman as a villain. <laughs> she, she just like could not take it. <laughs> she could not take it. So I, I get it. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I struggle with that. I try, I, I try to be a good person too. So I don't, I don't want people to think I'm evil or anything. So I my choices. Depends if they've seen uh, the, your trauma films or not, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so uh, before we we talk about uh, uh, your projects you're involved with, let's do another round of uh, our recommendations. Um, so my next uh, film I want to recommend um, is a film that was on been on Netflix for about a month now. Um, it kind of did the festival circuit um, in two thousand the early two thousand seventeen. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's called Super Dark Times. Oh, we, we were just talking about watching that. Oh my god! Have you just watched it? No, no, we no, haven't we, yet. We just we talked about it. Yeah. Oh, guys, you, yeah. you're going to love it. You're going to love it. So um, I'd, I'd kind of heard about Super Dark Times because um, I heard it was kind of like Strange Things. It was compared to Stranger Things, but set in the 90s. And I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm into that. But I didn't really know much about it. And then I kind of heard it getting a lot of buzz on the festival circuit. And I saw a few reviews giving it like in, in incredibly high grades for, for a horror film as well in places that you wouldn't expect to give good high marks for a horror film. Um, and so I kind of, I, I was almost a little bit jealous of us. I don't want to watch this because I'm going to get really jealous that someone's done a horror film <laughs> this good. Um, so I eventually forced myself to watch it when it appeared on, on Netflix uh, about a month ago. And yeah, it, it's as good as everyone says it is. Um, the, really? thing I, the thing I would compare it to the most, it has the kind of mood of Donnie Darko where... Okay. I mean, I know Donnie Duck is set in the uh, in the eighties, um, but the the mood of this is it's 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 got it just right. And I, I was never a I know I didn't grow up in America, so I was never a kid in America. But growing up here, speaking speaking to my friends when I was like ten, eleven, twelve, this film evokes that feeling of kids who don't really know what they're talking about when they talk about life, but they attempt to anyway. Um, yeah. And um, it feels. As the most realistic conversations between young boys that I've seen for for a long time because the kids in Stranger Things, it feels like a, a grown up has written written their their kind of lines. Yeah. Like, like you always got that in Dawson's Creek with like Kevin Williamson writing their lines. It, they speak like adults, but in Super Dark Times they actually speak their age. Um, and it's about a group of kids essentially not the most popular kids in school in fact they, they get bullied quite a lot 
so they kind of hang out together and just just one day they're just goofing around in a park and one of them brings their big brother's samurai sword with them um, as you do and and uh, some weed that they found in his room and the big brother's gone off to to the marines and obviously something goes wrong and the sword ends up somewhere where it shouldn't end up and then you've got the situation where these kids have to deal with a dead body oh boy yeah and that's kind of like the first 10 minutes and <laughs> Because because the dialogue is so realistic leading up to this, it really puts you in the in in the kind of mindset. Like, what would you do if you were this age and you had to deal with this situation? Yeah. And it just escalates and escalates and escalates, and um, you really really feel for these characters. And the kind of I would I would say if we're talking about acts, the, the third act is a little bit. It's not as good as the first two acts, but uh, um, it's still really, really worth watching. And um, I, again, it's one of those films where I don't want to kind of give away too much because the experience of watching this is is brilliant for the first time. Um, the the acting in it, I, I, these kids, I don't know if they've done anything before, but it feels like they they they've just time traveled to the nineties because they've got everything perfect. I mean, obviously, all of the references that they they say in this was being scripted, but it feels like they they really do know their kind of retro. Um, video games, they, they and they um, and just all the references are just perfect, and and the set design is very very nineties. If you grew up in the, in the nineties, um, and the, the kind of the biggest compliment I, I could give it is it's the closest thing to Donnie Darko I've seen um, huh. since Donnie Darko, and and Donnie Darko is one of my favorite films. Really, really cool, man. It's really really good, and like just some of the reviews is it's been getting. It's it's incredible. I think. It's got on Metacritic. It's on ninety three percent, and Rotten Tomatoes ninety two percent, and it's, it's crazy. Huh. Yeah, and this is, I mean, it's not your typical kind of horror film. It's more kind of a, a, a drama that that has moments of horror, but yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I can't recommend this enough. I know you guys will 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 absolutely love this so yeah we'll totally tell you what we think of it as soon as <laughs> please do please do and the director is a guy called kevin kevin phillips i'm not too sure what he's, he's done before um but yeah he smashed out of the park um yeah so that's and that's available on netflix uh worldwide I, I checked if it was available on the us one and it is um so yeah guys get, give it a shot um totally. who's next all right I'll, i got it um, okay so I know the holidays are over, but <laughs> Better Watch Out was amazing. I, loved I don't know it. if you've seen that. Yes, I have. I loved it. Yeah. Oh my god. I it, I honestly was watching it um just because it was a holiday horror film and it just seemed like okay, like let's watch Black Christmas and then let's watch Better Watch Out. <laughs> and it completely went in such a different direction than I had ever expected it to go. Yeah. And it was such a telling moment, especially right now with, with all of the, the social things going on in the world. Yeah. Um, again, another one, I don't really want to give away to anybody, but, uh, so spoilers, but, um, it's, it's an incredible statement on the, the way the like little whiny, white privileged people <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'll say it but it's like wow when you're so desensitized that like decency is just completely thrown out the window mm -hmm. um it's that's that's the most horrific thing i can think of yeah 
I mean, I think the thing it's most compared to is is Home Alone, and um, it's like Home Alone if if Kevin was a, a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like how you know when you covet something, you assume ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I still can't get over the tonal shift in that film. <laughs> um, like so dramatic. I think that I I like got up from the couch for a moment. <laughs> like it was just like, what am I watching? I couldn't believe what had just happened and how I had, you know, I, I don't always try to figure out a movie when I'm watching it, but I, I thought I had it figured out and I thought it was going a very different way. And it completely surprised me. Um, so I can't stop thinking about that, but that's on shutter. And I believe it's also on Amazon now. Um, yeah. I, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great choice. It's one of those ones where, um, because it's a Christmas movie, you don't expect it to be entertaining outside of the Christmas period, but yeah, it really is. And um, yeah. the, the kind of, it, it specifically references Home Alone for some of the uh, yeah, set sure. pieces that happen. And it's, oh, yeah. it, it's gory when you, when you, when you don't expect it to be gory. And it kind of reminds me of, I don't did you guys see the babysitter, which is also a yeah. Netflix? Yeah. yeah. It had that vibe, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but they also they go in such different directions, yeah. you know. So it's kind of funny because you almost I expected it. I saw Babysitter first. Yeah. So I expected it to kind of go a similar direction. Yes. Um, but Babysitter also kind of surprised me because at yeah. no point did they say this is all actually like I thought it was going to be a tale of his imagination. Yes. You know. So so that's something that's kind of interesting about these two. It's they explore like extreme morbidity <laughs> yeah like, it really does yeah. how young kids are very messed up right now. i think that between the two i would prefer better watch out just yeah. be, in terms of like the overall execution of it yeah uh, and, and consistent tone yeah mm-hmm. and like the somewhat like realistic quality of it yeah, yeah. um but uh both have like very uh they have a lot of fun and i can the actors um really deliver these like heartfelt performances and you you really don't know who to hate and when and yeah why. even even like even the bad kid you know like he you find it believable his descent into that kind of psychopathy and you also find it believable the the way that he was able to keep his friend at his service yes. and and it's like, okay, yeah, so some people really do turn bad at a, at a very young age. And uh, and sometimes innocence is completely corrupted beyond um, repair. And uh, and so I don't know, it really was kind of like a really cool feminist uh, horror thing. And it yeah. completely unexpected. Did you recognize where the, the, where the kids have been in before? Like the, the, main, the main kind of... Kid. The young the psycho kid, I know he played... Recently, he's he's in Wrinkle in Time. I, I oh, we haven't, it's okay. not come out yet, but he's yeah. he's gonna be in Wrinkle in Time. I know that for sure. He was apparently, I think, in Pan. Oh, <gasps> yeah, possibly, yeah. yeah. So that's like a good. That's a really great place to start. Yeah. Um And I mean, he's he's just been doing kind of. It seems like he's doing the Freddie Highmore route without going full psycho. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also the, the the main guy and and the girl they were they, they were the brother and sister in um, M Night Shyamalan's The Visit. 
They were the- oh, I haven't seen that. So. Oh, I heard that was good. We did oh, watch Physics uh, Great. Uh, uh, split, split recently, yeah. which was very really good. good. Yeah, I mean, people say Split is the return to form for M Night, but I think it's The Visit. The Visit is. I mean, you kind of expect a certain thing with, with with M Night's films, but the visit was it kind of blew me away. It's just, just he's got horror like just spot on. Um, there's a, I mean, I'm not going to spoil the visit. But just, I, I really, really recommend to watch it. It's, it will be better than you think it is. Um, even if you do predict what's going on, um, it's a real enjoyable ride all the way through. A bit, a bit like Better Watch Out, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's another great choice. Uh, Clay, it's uh, you to, to round this off. All right. Uh, so I, I'm, I've struggled with like giving you like a classic film um, that I know is on Netflix to like talk about. And But I thought that I would use this chance to shine some more light on the indie film world. Uh, so I would recommend The Suicide Theory for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Uh, so the suicide theory is a noir thriller about a man who hires a uh, demented uh, hitman person to to kill him. And the problem is that every time this man has attempted to kill himself, he has survived miraculously. So this guy whom he hires to do the job first thing he does is he puts a bullet in his head but then the next day the guy is still alive so the movie is about this this killer's attempts to um fulfill the job that he was hired to do so he can get his money but uh it becomes this increasingly bizarre uh kind of like psychoanalysis uh about like what's really going on as he fails time and time again to end this person's life. And uh, it's it's kind of like, uh, sort of like Taxi Driver in, in terms of mood, but it also has sort of a Brad Anderson kind of uh, machinist sort of feel to it. Like you're not really sure like what you're supposed to believe like as the narrative unfolds, but it's one of the most surprising and uh, twisted thrillers to come out in years. But uh, the reason I... I mention it. The reason I know about it is that um, this short film that I was recently um, uh, acting in, uh, "They Never Left," was written by the guy who wrote the Suicide Theory, and okay. um, yeah, uh, and he's a great, great writer. Uh, now, uh, also a, a screenwriting mentor for me. Uh, his name is Michael J. Cospia, and uh, the director was. Drew Brown. Um, it was an Aussie production and it originally got released, I think in, um, 2014, 2015, but, um, it's going to be on Netflix until, um, I think August this year. So, uh, yeah, I, for anybody who is a fan of like the noir thriller, I'd highly recommend it. Awesome. Um, so, um, you said you it's a good point to now jump off and on onto uh, the stuff that you've done. So you said um, he wrote "They Never Left." Yes, yes. So uh, last year, I um, I in one of the these uh, things that I was auditioning for, I like I wrote a note when they this breakdown for this supernatural horror short came out that I like I really thought that I could do this character and. Uh, and so I sent in a tape and I auditioned and then, um, I didn't hear back for a while. So I just started like, um, 
like uh, finding everything out I could about the man behind the story. And then eventually I friended him on Facebook and, um, and then I, uh, 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 so he's uh, based on a real, a real person. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And then he started giving me notes on like my audition. And so, uh, eventually I was able to convince the other people involved in the production that I could play this character. And so, uh, long story short, um, uh, the movie, the short got made mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was a great kind of stimulus because it ended up being developed, um, into a, a feature length oh, film. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, and so like, yeah, so I'm now great friends with the screenwriter and, uh, also like resulted in friendships all around, um, as Asta stepped in to help AD the film and, uh, the short. And so he's a uh, good friends with, she's good friends with Michael now too. And, um, and it's kind of like neat how that kind of like morphed into itself, uh, because, Sometimes, like, that's what I mean about, like, collaborating. Like, you uh, you need to respect when people have put in a lot of time becoming really good at something and how you can, like, find a way to use your gifts to help them and they can help you in yeah. turn. But Look for the helpers, like yeah. Mr. Rogers always says. <laughs> yeah. We all see that um, for They Never Left, like, it was a really great cast. And um, I think that a lot of things came together at the, in the end of the day with with the people who really uh, cared about the project coming together. Um, when you have a, a shared passion, like, you know, impossible things become possible. Yeah. So. And so they never left. It's about a, a guy who um, is an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting um, facet of the plot. So uh, uh, originally the story focused uh, a lot more on that. Like the short was going to focus more on that, but he had to okay. streamline it. So make it more about some jaded, uh, unemployed hipster person who breaks up with his girlfriend. He's moves into this, uh, this uh, apartment and things start happening. But, um, the, uh, the screenwriter is, um, is taking more liberties with, with that, the particular subplot. Uh, and so that way it's, it uh, deals, uh, specifically with, um, the delusions and paranoia that, are commonplace, um, in an alcoholic's life, uh, especially when that person is trying to, uh, get off the booze and somehow, uh, when you do that and you keep yourself away from it, it's, it creates things that weren't there anymore. Uh, sometimes like very vivid nightmares and sometimes like delusions and, and it's sort of problematic when you might have actually moved into a haunted apartment and, <laughs> You feel you feel that your life is in danger, and you want to convince people, but then they also know that your credibility is shot to hell. Yeah, and you've done you, you've you've made up a bunch of other things in the past, and you're still a mess, and you still don't have a job. And so, um, yeah, it, it's kind of an awesome character. I feel very lucky to have collaborated with Michael on it, and gradually like see how much of himself he's put into the role, but then how he's let like thought about me the more that he like saw what I would do with the character in the short. And, uh, um, it's cool. Cause like, you know, uh, he's dealt with, uh, themes to do with that. And, uh, is very much obsessed about those things. And so am I for, uh, for certain reasons. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, really cool project. It's a blend of things, but he builds it as a mumblecore uh, horror 
which, you know, so he wants to like put the emphasis on character and quirk, but also um, to deliver like style through genre. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And you also, uh, Clay, you also wrote and directed The Shadow Scarf, uh, which stars both of you, which which is great. Um, And can can you give like a a kind of a synopsis of what, what, because I love the... uh, um, the poster for the sh- for, for oh, the shadow scarf. Oh, thank it's, you. It's that's, incredible. That, that's really, the, great. the incomparable Richard Smykowski. Yeah. Uh, just really, really bang up job. Um, but uh, yeah. So the the logline is uh, a bartender encounters uh, a mysterious and beautiful woman late one night, and what starts out as uh, a seemingly innocent performance of music um, in a way to compensate for a bust of an open mic night, slowly begins to turn in a direction which suggests that this bartender knew this woman years back in college. And uh, and then at the same time, um, she also knew his jackass brother who happened to visit a certain night that changed her life forever. But the problem is this guy's brother was supposed to show up hours ago and he's not answering his phone. Okay. And what would, and how, how was it directing your own wife? <laughs> like, because obviously you wrote it, I'm, I'm guessing with Asher in mind, um, yeah. and I'm sure she collaborated with you, uh, throughout the entire process she did, yeah um but what did she kind of well you're right there Esther, so i should just ask you did, <laughs> did you did you um kind of uh, create your character as 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 it was being written or did you kind of just let clay write what he thought you should be and then you kind of adapted it yourself or was you there right at the start saying i think my character should be like this and do this like how did the writing process work when you, when both of you are married and both of you are involved in, in this? Well, it's, it, it's even more interesting if, uh, at this point I've read two feature length scripts and this particular short film script, um, that Clay has written, um, for me. Um, and every time I read a character he's written for me, like I suddenly feel, um, in both a good and bad way, I feel very uh, uh, self-aware because he finds um, he finds like certain quirks about me um, and um, or energies that I have, and then turns them into um, potential uh, you know leaders in in uh, magical stories. Um, <laughs> so, like for this particular role, like he was really grabbing on to um, like the more um, mysticism occult side um siren side of me and um i remember when he uh wrote the script and and basically gave me also with that like he, we're gonna do it in like a month um <laughs> i've already arranged it of uh, the location and everything um i remember i remember it being um the beginning of a a uh, big, pretty big, uh, growing process for me because something that clay does so well is, um, insist on your potential. And he knows that I can sing and, um, 
he wanted to force me to do that in front of other people again. <laughs> that was nice <laughs> he, of him. <laughs> yeah, he also knows that um, I'm a very, uh, perverse, very superstitious person. And I also am a very big believer in uh, karmic retribution. Um, and so uh, he let me explore that. But having said that, uh, I don't typically like to admit that I get kind of method, but it was kind of hard at, uh, at times because I, this character is just so hurt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was very hard to, um, to not take ownership of certain things. Like, you know, I would make certain wardrobe decisions or certain style decisions or say she would never do that or, you know, blah, 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 or find ways to keep her from getting too, um, like keep it simple so that she's grounded. Um, and not get caught up in the like mysticism too much. Um, Cause some things are better left off the page. Yeah. Well, uh, well then I should bring it on to the fact that uh, when you directed and, and, and wrote the slightest touch, yeah, you didn't put clay in it. No. <laughs> so, so, uh, that's not fair. <laughs> well, different difference. Okay. It's different. I mean, I have something I'm working on right now um, where I'm almost <laughs> almost like in a in a petty way, putting him in a room full of women um, that are angry. <laughs> so you're testing you're testing each other with, with these films. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what we do for each other, though. Like he writes roles that he knows will either help me challenge me or um, or uh, channel something out of me that he knows I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, for slightest touch, it was more something I had been holding on to, um, like as scribbles of words and thoughts for years before I knew him. And I also, um, didn't want either of us to, because of personal reasons, I didn't want either of us to be associated with the project on the acting scale because I would never look at him the same yeah. otherwise. So, so, and then also, I think maybe uh, if I, if I may, just from my perspective, uh, that the subject matter of her short, the genre of it, I think had what was more uh, had more to do with realism, and uh, and so there wasn't the same kind of like safe canvas that mine had. So I feel like it, it would have been asking. It would have been a lot for us to do um, at that at that stage, yeah. uh, I think. Yeah, and it was more of a test of my expression with his support on the sidelines with me. Mm-hmm. So you know, because Clay, Clay, Clay produced it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Clay's more than happy to um, cast people in roles he writes tailor made for them, and um, you know, if they if they say yes, then uh, <laughs> it's it's fun. I mean, we had. Um, Stephen Kuhn, who also works with us at, um, this, uh, videology bar where we shot it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically played a version of himself and it was just really fun to watch. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good challenge. It's definitely, um, it's like the saying goes, a comfort, uh, comfort zone is no place to grow. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have definitely been, um, a muse of sorts before, uh, in other relationships uh-huh. where uh-huh. I was basically playing roles that were just like a walk in the park. Um, 
And for my relationship and creative dynamic with Clay, he always casts me in things that like maybe the first reading after I like <laughs> yell at him about it. And I'm like, <laughs> like, they're going to know this is me. <laughs> like they're going to know that this is from something I told you or that, you know, or, you know, but it's because it, I see, I see that he sees me so clearly. Um, and it's my job to, um, add it to another character and then excise that, you know, power or weakness from me. That's great. And, <laughs> and what are you guys working on next? Have you got anything interesting in the, in the pipeline? Um, well, uh, we are working on a few things. There's some things we can't talk about publicly. Yes. I know but, what that's like. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, we are in pre-production, um, just waiting for nicer weather um, for Eros Point, um, which is written and being directed by McKeg Collins. Um, I worked with him on a short film called The Runaround Club a few years ago, okay. um, which was, I feel like there's a theme here, It's which is a home invasion uh, family drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in which I play a young woman who uh, clearly comes from um, a somewhat abusive family, uh, which is kind of am- ambiguous, mm-hmm. who almost befriends the person who's broken into her home. Um, and uh, anyway, so now we're working with McKeg on this, and uh, and you'll like it. It's a zombie movie of awesome. sorts. Yeah. Sort of a hard house horror romantic tragedy. Yeah, it's got hints of... Um, it's, it's, it's also very character based. It's focused on a married couple. Um, it's focused on the, you know, their dynamic, um, in the face of this kind of, um, genre setback in the world Yeah, and uh, kind of, you know, what that does to relationship. Oh yeah. That sounds ex- right up my street. Yeah. exactly specifically I, what i like you'll you'll love it i'm like honestly i'm so excited about it and mckeg has been you know unbelievable about it and he you know he has a bit of a a, a zombie connection that maybe he'll be able to share with everybody someday okay. um but uh yeah like we're we're going to cabin um uh in vermont in Ver- no 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 oh, in, no in new hampshire new hampshire, new hampshire yeah. to shoot it Um, and, uh, I'm really excited about it because it's, you know, it's, it's very sensual filmmaking, meaning like, you know, focused on visual storytelling, focused on like capturing that emotion, that impressionistic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like as a married couple, like there's some things that just very, very much hit home for us. Um, and, you know, we do like to uh, throw ourselves onto the fire together to explore these dynamics. Yeah, what's <laughs> what's interesting about this story, and it'll be fun to talk about this at a QA, and um, and then years from now talk about it at a Q&A after like a feature. <laughs> but McKegg, after a private screening of The Shadow Scar, yeah. and he talked to us about this project. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of like really uh, lovely to, to kind of see him explain how he had this thing that he was thinking about with us uh in mind and how like kind of seeing like this us together in this film sort of solidified his thoughts about that and like our willingness to tackle 
dark material under the guise of something that seems like it's going to be straight genre. And so it's sort of like this little secret thing we're doing (laughs) is gradually showing like really harrowing dramatic work um, while still delivering uh, the genre goods, so to speak. Yeah. And using it as a way to like, you know, have that style. But on another note, we are producing a film right now. We're in the middle of casting. We're actually finishing um, the second set of auditions tomorrow. Um, it's called Just Walk Home. Okay. And that is written and directed by Adam Barnick. Um, and the storyline um, is basically two women um, walking home. Um, though we never reference it directly in the screenplay um they are walking home um november 9th 2016 so um it's post post election um they can't drive that night so the two women are walking home together and it's kind of an examination of um the kind of uh tense paranoia that you can uh put onto yourself that can emit a beacon uh, so to speak, for uh, predatorial behavior, intended or not. Um, it's it's, it's going to be a very simple, like, you know, focus on the actors, um, walking home, you know, real time as much as possible. And uh, I, the actors we've seen so far, like, I am just so blown away and inspired because not just of their talent, but like, their excitement to work on something that in some ways is cathartic to explore um, that kind of hopeless feeling Mm -hmm. that a lot of us over here felt uh, that night. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing all, all of these. Um, Hopefully they'll be on at festivals over here in in the UK. I mean, I do travel around, but um, it would be nice if they were on over here at some point. Um, Yeah. We'll make an effort. Yeah, and and if um if anyone wants to kind of see um both Clay and Asher and something, um uh, they're both in the return to return to Newcomb High, aka Volume Two, which is kind of doing the rounds right now in in selected places. Um, and I still haven't seen it, and I will see it uh, because when uh, the Trauma guys were in London, I I can't remember why I didn't see it. It's it's weird. You were that's right. I was sick. Yes. Otherwise, otherwise I would have. Um, and it's always good to see um Lloyd Kaufman. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming on. It's been, uh, you've given me loads of great things to watch and to, and to go away and think about. And, um, yeah, yeah. same, same, same to you, man. Yeah. Uh, it's such a pleasure catching up with like a fellow genre fan and genre filmmaker, like yeah. so And Night of the your... Comet Lover. Yeah. Oh, it's my favorite <laughs> film. I will remake that film one day. I, I promise you, I will remake that film one day. Um, and it'll probably kind of absolutely bomb, but I actually don't care. I just, I just want my as version. As, I, as long as I'm in it, even if you give me a cameo as Deal. like, you know, infected nurse number one. <laughs> deal. It's a deal um, right now. Basically, if you can be in it. Um, okay, guys. Well, well, thanks very much. Um, and if people want to uh, find you on the internet um, to say hello or just to kind of follow what you guys are doing, how will they find you? I would look on my website, um, which is just worldwideweb.asta, A-S-T-A, Paredes, P-A-R-E-D-E-S.com, astaparedes.com, or Instagram at, at Asta Paredes. Um, I also have a Facebook page, same thing. 
Um, we also have a website for Abandoned House Productions. It's www.abandonedhousepresents.com. Um, those all have ways to reach us. And and then yeah. and then you can see my stuff on my website, clayvoncarlowitz.com. Uh, very soon I will be updating that with news about the They Never Left feature, as well as uh, perhaps uh, another feature this year. Uh, and then at Clayvon Sees, my Twitter, and then at Clayvon Carlowitz on Instagram, um, and then obviously Facebook fan page type stuff. I prefer if you like my fan page, unless you're like really a friend of mine, you can friend me, but like the, like the Facebook <laughs> fan page. Yeah, I also cool. don't really use my Facebook that much anymore. Yeah. Um, so you'll mostly find me on Instagram or um, my website. Or Twitter. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn. No, That's- don't. don't. <laughs> so go into Asta's LinkedIn. I, hate- <laughs> <laughs> I have so many LinkedIn requests and, I've, and every time I see someone who's requested me i always feel bad but the thing is i just don't use it and i guess it's a i i don't know i just don't use it i don't use that i i i do participate on my facebook fan page at times but for the most part i just i just like looking at pretty pictures so instagram is where you'll find me and uh, i find that people are, are very social on there i have a lot of friends i have never met in real life that i <laughs> friended over liking the same you know movies yeah um, and we've never met in real life, so we I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be out in New York at some point later on this year, and yeah, we, we, we should sh- fix that. Yeah, and we'll we'll hang out later on this yeah. year at some point. Um, okay, guys, thanks so much for coming on again, and um, I'm looking forward to all the, your future projects, and maybe in some of mine in the future too. That'd be great. Yeah. Sounds great, dude. <laughs> thanks so much for having us. All right, thanks very much. Bye. 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 Cheers. Bye. Bye.